more than we want a lot of things, we want to be happy. It's, it's an obvious observation that we all want to be happy, but it's an, an important one to, to think about during the season as we walk through the Beatitudes. It's important to reflect on all the ways that you are currently pursuing happiness. And you may not wake up each day thinking, I'm pursuing happiness in this way, and then you go do that thing. But how are you pursuing happiness? We typically pursue it through success and wealth, health, relationships, hobbies, sports. But when we start reflecting on our lives, oftentimes it doesn't take too long before we come to the painful realization that our pursuit of happiness in all of the things I just mentioned is just that, a pursuit. And it's one that never, ever ends. We, we remain on the journey but we never reach the destination. And, and although we may catch happiness for a moment, it, it really doesn't last that long. I want this, this mindset, this thought, to, to be grounding us as we walk through the Beatitudes. I want us to walk slowly and patiently through them for the rest of the summer. Because, you know, I, I don't know, I think every single person in this room that I've had a conversation with, at some point we've joked about how difficult and frustrating and sad 2020 has been for us but it's really not a joke is it the pain the frustration the sadness it's real and we're each struggling in our own way it's easy to forget that if we are connected to king jesus by faith we are covered in the king's blessing no matter what happens to us. The Beatitudes open the door for us to live the good life, this, this life of deep, penetrating joy and happiness that cannot be touched by any circumstance in the world. Jesus is declaring through these, these blessings that we just recited together and these promises that the kingdom of God is not a possible destination for those who happen to be good enough to reach it. He's declaring through the Beatitudes that the kingdom of God is guaranteed to anyone and everyone who is connected to him, even those, maybe especially those the world tends to reject. And, and we've talked about that the last couple weeks. We've talked about what it means to be spiritually impoverished and, and what it means that those who mourn have received God's blessing through Jesus. And Jesus gives us another blessing this week. While the world says to find happiness and glory and power and success at all costs, Jesus says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Now, the opposing vice, if you think of, 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 of meekness as a virtue, the, the opposing vice is pride. And I don't know about you, but lately I've been noticing a lot of pride in myself 
and in others. And I can throw myself in there because the moment I notice pride in someone else, I might as well write my name down on the list. And it it really does sadden me to see so many people react to COVID-19 and other current forms of social change by only looking out for themselves and their self-interest. I'm frustrated personally and how easily questions and conversations and confrontations and social media activity can trigger annoyance and frustration and even anger deep within my heart. John Calvin wrote this in the 1500s, but he might as well have written it last week. He wrote, Everyone around us follows his own interests and looks to his own advantage. Everyone wants to lord it over others. Then, he's saying when that happens, then comes our pride, our venom, the instant we are provoked. Harshness and cruelty abound. We are vindictive and and cause no end of trouble. It is as if lightning should fall from heaven every time someone is offended. So if in the course of life we endure many difficulties, we do not have to look far for the explanation. The pain men suffer comes from their fellow men. They want nothing better, they say, than to be gentle and mild-mannered and to show patience toward those among who they live. But they add, it is not possible to deny our human nature. We must hunt with the hounds because to be a sheep is to risk becoming someone else's dinner. You've seen this, right? Do you see it in your own heart? Do you see that you are prone to look to your own interests before the interest of others? Do you see how much of your life is lived making sure that you are better, more advantaged than someone else? Do you see how defensive you can be? I've seen this in myself. And sometimes I wonder if I'm just afraid of what may come if I actually embody gentleness, if I'm actually mild-mannered, if I'm meek, and if I'm humble. So here's how it works for me. And we can talk about social media and online activity mainly because that's where most of us are living right now because everything else has been closed up for so long. But when I see an online, what I call a dumpster fire, when I see a dumpster fire online, I'm prone to feel personally offended and then obviously when messages or comments or phone calls are directed against me my my instinct is to want to fight back i want to defend my ground my position or myself but think about social media for a second i don't know if you guys knew this or not but this may be if if all you pull away from the sermon is what i'm about to say I'm, I'm totally cool with that. Did you guys know that on social media sites, there is a function on Twitter, it's called the mute button. Y- y'all know what this thing is? Okay. On Twitter, it's called the mute button. On Facebook, I think it's called unfollow, where you actually don't have to break ties with someone on social media. You don't have to unfriend them. You don't have to not follow them on Twitter. You can unfollow them on Facebook and mute them on Twitter, and you never see another thing that they say, ever. You just don't see it. And a lot of times, 
I think that would be really helpful for me, you know? I don't otherwise dislike this person, but man, sometimes when they post things, it frustrates me, and I start, this, this pride starts to well up within my heart, and I don't like that. Maybe a good guardrail would be to mute, you know, hit unfollow. Um, it's actually a good way to just let things go. Why don't we do that? I, I've thought about this so much the last couple of days. Why don't I just do that? Why do I still want to see it? You, you ever feel that? Like when someone irritates you, it's like they irritate you, but for some reason you almost want to see it because it's almost like you want to be triggered. You want to be irritated. You want to be frustrated. Why do we do this? Well, we do it because we are not naturally full of meekness. Meekness is not natural to us. We are full of pride. Pride is so natural to us. And how dare someone have a different opinion? And if they do, how dare they challenge mine or say something that I dislike? If you engage in the issues facing us today, this is not general, this is very specific, you are going to be provoked by someone else. That's inevitable. That's a given. You're going to be provoked right now. So I can't help you avoid that. But the way you respond to being provoked by someone else communicates the values of the kingdom you serve. Communicates the values of the kingdom you serve. And even more than that, if you're going to find true and lasting happiness, this, this deep-rooted blessedness in a world where very bad people will cause you very much harm, you're going to need to know how to cope. That's what we're going to do this morning. This morning, we're going to talk about meekness. We're going to talk about it in three ways, okay? We're going to talk about meekness, what it is, all right, what it is, what is meekness. Second, we're going to talk about meekness in the gospel, how to get it, how do we get not just meekness, but the blessing of meekness, this promise of, of the earth, and then third, meekness in the good life. Why is the good life marked by meekness? So meekness, what it is, how to get it, and why it is the good life. First, meekness, what it is. All right, look, let's look again, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who are the meek? What does it mean to be meek? Now, when you think of the word meek, or you think of a person who is meek, what other words typically come to mind? Because meek typically doesn't have very many admirable synonyms. Okay, when you think of someone who is meek, typically we think of someone who is timid, someone who is weak, someone who is soft. And we're going to talk in just a minute why that works in English. But the Greek word that's translated here as meek was used to describe a wild animal who had to be tamed and made gentle. A horse, for example, a horse that would accept a rider, obviously like a dog that would, that would tend sheep. That's, that's the word that's used here. Theologically and spiritually, meekness is related not to, to being timid or weak or soft, but to gentleness and humility. Now, biblically, we could, we could consider so many different examples, but I, I want to show you two. I want to show you two examples, and I want to mention a third. So if you would, later today, later in the week, go to Numbers 12. In Numbers 12, 1 through 4, 
we're, we're told of Moses' meekness, that he was the, the most meek person on the face of the earth. And we're given an example of that in, in Numbers 12, but we're not going to go there now. I want to take you to two places. First, I want to show you every single place in the Gospels where meek is used. And you're probably like, oh my goodness. It's used three times. This word is used three times all by Matthew. First, it's used in Matthew 5, 5, our passage here. And it's where Jesus blesses the meek. He says, the, you know, blessed are the meek. The second place, and I want you to turn with me, is Matthew 11. Matthew 11. So let's, let's flip over a few pages. Matthew chapter 11. And it comes in verse 29. It's a different word, translated differently in English. Same, same root word in the Greek. I'll start in verse 28. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle. Same word for meek. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus describes himself as meek. Not only does he bless the meek, but Jesus says, I am meek. I am gentle. And, and his whole point of saying that is you can find real and true rest in me. I am approachable. Jesus, I've heard it said, is the most approachable person in the history of the world. So it gives us a clue into what it means to be meek. All right, another place, Matthew 21. So keep, keep flipping. Keep flipping. Matthew 21. Now this is where uh, Matthew himself describes Jesus as being meek. So if Jesus blesses the meek in Matthew 5, uh, Jesus describes himself as being meek in Matthew 11. Now here Matthew himself is describing Jesus as being meek. Um, it's the triumphal entry. I'll, I'll start in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And then Matthew tells us, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, and he quotes this passage and applies it to Jesus, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. How? Humble. Same, same root word that's used in Matthew 5, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, Matthew says, this King Jesus who comes in authority to the city of Jerusalem to be coronated on a cross, he says he comes and he is humble. He is meek. So Jesus himself is meek. But there's another place I want you to turn. Turn, turn to Psalm 37. Turn to Psalm 37. We read this this morning. There are a lot of Old Testament allusions in the New Testament, but uh, I, I would say that very clearly here in Matthew 5, 5, Jesus is making reference to Psalm 37. So it's, it's, it kind of serves as a guide for us to understand what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the meek. All right, so so look, look with me, uh, starting in verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. 
Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5, really key here. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth righteousness as as the light and your justice as the noonday. Look at verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Verse 8 here. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And we'll close it up right here. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. All right, so three, three cues from Psalm 37. The meek, who are the meek? The meek are those first who trust in the Lord. The meek are first, they are trusting in the Lord. Meekness reveals deep contentment in God. They're trusting God. They are, they are looking to God for, for their life and for their sustenance, for their provision. They look to him and they find life. They trust in the Lord, we, we read in 30, uh, Psalm 37.5. And then again in Psalm 37.5, the second, second cue we see, they commit their ways to the Lord. The meek, they commit their ways to the Lord. The meek have discovered that God is trustworthy, and, and so they commit all of their business, all of their problems, all of their relationships, their health, and their fears. They commit them to the Lord. They commit everything to God because they trust that he is able to sustain and guide them through whatever comes next. And so they are not concerned with coming up with all the answers. They, they are willing to be wrong. They are content in uncertainty because their ways are committed to the one who knows and can do all things. And then thirdly, they wait for the Lord. They wait for the Lord. So they trust in the Lord, they commit their ways to the Lord, and they wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 7. The meek are free from, from this frenetic, worry-filled life. They are free from inner chaos, even when their world is spinning out of control. They are, they are steady. They possess this calm in their hearts that they have no need to vindicate themselves when they are wrong. They, they are free from bitterness and from anger that is so common among those who experience wrongdoing because they are confident that in his perfect timing, the Lord will respond. The Lord will provide. The Lord will answer. So they have no need to avenge themselves. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. They are not quick to seek or take revenge when they are wrong. Scott McKnight, he says, the meek choose to absorb unjust conditions in a form of nonviolent, non-retaliatory resistance that creates a calm, countercultural community of love, justice, and peace. So a summary of... of what we take from Psalm 37 of of meekness. The meek are those who lovingly trust God, hope in God's timing, hope in God's justice, and that leads them to put others before themselves even when they are deeply wounded. The meek, it's a person who is 
completely content in God because he is trusting him, he is committing his ways to the Lord, and he is waiting for the Lord to answer in good timing. So meekness, what it is. All right, second, meekness. How, how do we get it? And especially the, the blessing, the promise that comes in Matthew 5. I was still in Matthew 21. Let me get back to it. Matthew 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You see, this blessing just like all the others in the Beatitudes, is given, not earned. So, so we can't get it. It's a, it's a wonderful promise. Blessed are the meek, the promise, for they shall inherit the earth. The earth is their inheritance. The land, the, the new earth, this, this ultimate promised land, this, this land that will be when in heaven and earth meet together. It will be yours Jesus says to the meek. Now, since the meek are not quick to defend or vindicate themselves, they are not quick to uh, uh, trample over others to get what they want, Jesus' beatitude comes as a surprise. It's really strange, even for us, to hear that the earth will one day belong to those who would never strive to own it in the first place. Jesus' beatitude is an announcement of the good news of the kingdom, and I'm sure it came as a shock to those who initially heard it. As I said earlier, when we think of meekness, we think of weakness, and it's really a shame that those words rhyme because a lot of people think that they are synonyms. The word meek, as we got it in English, it was actually brought to England by Viking warriors. So the Vikings brought the word meek to the English, and it has its roots in this old Norse word for soft. So that, that's why over time people just tend to think of meekness and weakness, and they think of it as being a soft person. And, and it makes sense, because how many of you are like, man, I hope that person thinks that I'm really meek? That's not something we strive for. Do we, do we teach our children? Is that something we train them to be? Is that a value we have for them? Hey, I, uh, really, guys, strive for meekness. You need to be meek. No, we don't do that because we can't afford to be meek because the meek lose. I want you to think for just a second about the Romans who held power in the land when Jesus was sitting on this mountain and giving these beatitudes. Oh, they must have just looked at each other. You, know, you, you ever do that? Someone says something stupid and you just look at your buddy. Like, can you imagine them just glancing at each other? Like, did you hear what he just said? He said the meek will inherit the earth. And they must have thought that he was just this crazy dreamer or that he was just insane. Because if anybody could actually claim possession of the earth at the time, it was the Romans. The Romans had conquered land from Great Britain to India. Caesar had conquered the world. And it was the Roman Empire that had literally possession of the earth. And, and to be sure, they did not own the land by being meek. They knew what it took to own the land, to own the world. It was, it was destruction. It was by being smarter. It was by being bolder, stronger, more aggressive, more assertive than anybody else. It was being willing to take land by force if they wouldn't submit. And so they, they must have had a good laugh when this poor, unassuming rabbi announced that one day, the meek, not only will they be blessed, but they will inherit the earth. 
You see, it's surprising to us because the meek in our world today even, they do not possess the world. It's the movers and the shakers. It's the ones who grasp for power. It's the ruthless. It's the ones willing to bulldoze over everyone in their path. They possess the world. Our particular corner of the world does not favor or bless the meek. We all know the mantra, right? Nice guys finish. Oh, hang on one more time. Your mask is on. Um, uh, um, <laughs> uh, the mantra of nice guys finish last. There it is. Yeah, nice guys finish last. And finishing last is a mark of shame in our country. We don't finish last in anything. We win. And so we're annoyed by the weak and needy, but we mock the meek who are content with what they have and trust God with their future. You see, Jesus is bringing his countercultural kingdom to bear on the upside-down world that values the self-confident, the self-righteous, and the self-serving. He's saying God's favor rests on those who look not to themselves for contentment and security, but to God. But it's important for us to remember, Jesus is not offering advice here. He's not saying... If you pursue meekness and find it, God will bless you and then you can enter the kingdom. How do we know that? Because of the promise. The promise. The meek will inherit the earth. What does that mean? Well, there are basically two sides of one coin. First, we inherit the earth now. The meek inherit the earth now. Meaning that we enjoy whatever God has provided for us without giving in to the desire to claim more for ourselves. We are content with what the Lord has given and we truly and deeply enjoy the earth even though it is passing away. But the other side of it is we will inherit the earth in full later. The new earth is coming. Heaven and earth will meet and the land will be free of every curse, every wicked thing and we will live in peace and prosperity. Well, the gospel of the kingdom, this good news, is that the land that is promised here cannot be bought. It cannot be conquered. It cannot be earned. It has to be given. And so here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus says the meek are the ones who are prime candidates for such an inheritance precisely because they choose not to conquer They choose to bank their lot in life and their future entirely on God. And he says the world will be theirs. One author said, if it is the meek, the helpless, the disabled who will inherit the earth, this is perhaps because the earth, God's earth, the real earth, can be had on no other terms. It is a gift, or in the words of the Beatitude, it is an inheritance. So while the meek often lose in this world, while they lose arguments and refuse to advance in the world at the expense of others, while they will be reviled without reviling, wounded without wounding, their hope is not in this world, so they are content. Their hope is in the new world God has waiting for them at the return of Christ. So how do we get it? How do we get the earth as our possession? God has to give it to us, and he gives it to us through Jesus. All right, finally, why, why is meekness a marker of the good life? Why is meekness a marker of the good life? I want to offer three, three reasons to you here. Because um, Jesus is saying, 
The meek are actually blessed. They are favored. They flourish. Three, three reasons that's true. First, meekness enables us to properly evaluate ourselves before God and others. Meekness enables us to properly evaluate ourselves before God and others. When you are meek, you see yourself for who you truly are. So this makes meekness, as, as I said in my opening, a virtue that opposes pride. Pride has the opposite effect. Pride gives us an inflated view of ourselves, whether that's expressed through pride or self-pity. And so we see both God and one another as enemies in the way of our glory or happiness. You see, in the Garden of Eden, that was the whole problem. They felt like God was in the way of their happiness, of their own glory. We treat others the same way. And I just want you to think about this simple question. What do you see when you look at another human being? What do you see? Others in this room, when you see people's social media profiles and you see their name, what do you see? If you are meek, if you are meek, you see an equal image bearer. You see an equal. If you are full of pride, you will see an enemy to be conquered. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. Meekness is essentially a true view of oneself, expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to others. It is my attitude towards myself, and it is an expression of that in my relationship to others. The meek man is not proud of himself. He does not in any sense glory in himself. He feels that there is nothing in himself of which he can boast. The meek man does not demand anything for himself. He does not take all his rights as claims. He does not make demands for his position, his privileges, his possessions, his status in life. Meekness enables us to properly evaluate ourselves before God and others. Second, meekness enables us to be content with the life we have. To be content with the life we have. This is why it's so key that meekness is a part of the good life. We're not stressing over the prosperity of the wicked. That's a theme over and over again through Psalm 37. We're not afraid of the world spiraling out of control. It can spiral completely out of control. We're not looking to it for our hope. We're not banking on certain political leaders being in power. It doesn't matter to us, even though we think it's important. It's an important part of our lives and our witness in this world. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because we're not looking to them for security. We're not looking to them for contentment. It doesn't matter if we are the losers. It doesn't matter if we are the outcasts. The meek are free to enjoy life as they have it from God. And because they trust God, commit their way to him, and wait for him, there is so much that happens to them that they are free to just let go. People can come at them, attack them, accuse them, and so many times, time and time again, because they are content with the life they have, they can just let it go. The Lord will vindicate. Finally, the good life is marked by meekness 
because the alternative is exhausting. I know that's a negative point, but I want to make it meekness is part of the good life first because it, it helps us properly see ourselves. Second, because it enables us to be content with the life we have. But third, the alternative is just so exhausting, y'all. It's exhausting to always have to have the last word. It's exhausting to argue your position to the death. The kind of contentment that meekness produces is unaccessible to those who are striving to have more and to be more than others. Tyrants who have conquered worlds, the Caesars of this world, who have everything they ever wanted. They actually possess everything and nothing because they can never truly rest knowing that there are still enemies out there coming for them. I'm not saying there's never a time to defend yourself. There, there are certain times to defend yourself. What I'm certain of is that every time you are opposed is not a time to defend yourself. And I would just encourage you to remember what Peter said of Jesus. He said, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Blessing is experienced when you are free from that inner obligation you feel to constantly defend yourself. Contentment can be realized when you no longer have to vindicate yourself so that others would know that you are smart and strong and successful. Jesus has relieved us of the need to pursue our own glory or constantly defend our own honor by blessing the meek and promising possession of the whole earth a place where peace will reign forever. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer summed up his section on this beatitude. He said, The renewal of the earth begins at Golgotha, where the meek one died, and from thence it will spread. When the kingdom finally comes, the meek shall possess the earth. So if you tend to think that you are worthless because you're not aggressive or assertive, combative or contentious, if, if people tend to forget you and you feel left out, know that Jesus' standards of blessing are different. He is meek. No one deserved to vindicate himself more than Jesus, and he refused to do so. If Jesus was not meek, we would not be in this building because he would not have went to the cross. Because Jesus was meek, he died for your pride to empower you to become more and more meek. His kingdom opens its doors to you. And when you turn to this meek one by faith, you will one day rule the world as a co-heir of his kingdom. So let's live today. Let's interact with others today. Let's respond to criticism and suffering and opposition today like we know that one day the whole earth will belong to us.